welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, as Tony mentioned, I did um, actually start this message last week. And back then, it was called No Religion, Don't Kid Yourself. And I'll explain a little bit why I called it that in just a moment. And so this week is part two of that message, and the subtitle would be Why Jesus? Okay, Why Jesus? But last week, I started by just looking or highlighting some of the craziness that has been in our news of late. And increasingly, you know, both here and across much of the world, we're seeing all sorts of unusual things going on. And the things that are making headlines 20, 30, 40 years ago, they wouldn't even rate a mention. And yet there are things that 30, 40, 50 years would have been like you know, atrocious and would be all over the papers and these things just quickly get put under the carpet and I highlighted, you know, the whole Adam Goods racism affair um, and contrasted that with a young man, young soldier in Britain getting hacked to pieces in the street and the amount of weight that was put on those two things compared to the importance of them. And I don't want to minimise, you know, just offend anyone here tonight, but, you know, we're losing perspective. We're absolutely losing perspective. I mentioned the same, you know, there was a young baby uh, flushed down a toilet in China and, you know, and we might stand in our, with our high morals and you know, say, that's terrible, and yet we're living in a nation where abortion is just rife. You know, so there's hypocrisy and there's double standards everywhere. Today, interestingly, um, it said uh, sex workers want in on a 457 visa and onto our nation, because that's, that's about bringing skilled workers into the nation. And they want, that's what they want. And they said to, to not get that, it's about it's discrimination. They want their rights. Now, the crazy thing to me is the argument didn't become a moral one. It became one about qualifications. (laughs) Do you not think that's silly? That we're talking about, well, you know, you can't get a college degree in that. Therefore, you're not classified as a skilled worker. And they're saying, well, some of us are very skilled. (laughs) And, you know, and and suddenly, like, what is right or wrong is, like, not even part of the picture anymore. (laughs) We've definitely, there's a loss of moral perspective. I spoke last week from a, an article um, that Tori Shepherd had written in the advertiser and, um, and, and along with, uh, she had made some comments and, and a lady called Amanda Vanstone, who used to be a politician, she made some comments that were very similar on Q&A a couple of weeks ago and they basically sort of alluded to the fact that all of our problems as a nation would be solved um, if we would just remove all traces of religion from our legal and judicial systems. Um, and, and when they say religion, really in, it's just code for Christianity. Okay, because it's Christianity that seems to be copying the brunt of everything. And so I responded to that by basically saying, look, don't kid yourself, we're all religious. Every one of us has a system, a belief system, every one of us has values. We cannot escape that. And the fact is, it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're from, um, you've got beliefs. And you hold them quite strongly and you will bring those into the decisions you make. So we cannot divorce ourselves from our, our, our religion, our faith, our philosophy, our worldview, whatever you want to call it. I then spoke about the fact that, you know, it, it, sadly, many people just absorb what they believe. And so there's many people today, you know, I, I um, you know, obviously have views about prostitution uh, morally, but many people don't even question that today because they've just absorbed much of the worldview today. And so they, don't, they think there's nothing wrong with that, and so they will be quite willing to go into bat and say, yes, they should come in on four, five, seven visas as long as they're skilled. Um, but, <laughs> but um, you know, so many people just absorb 
stuff, it might be from the TV, the media, it might be from what they've been brought up in, uh, in terms of their home life, it might have been from university or school or whatever, but it's absorbing belief systems and values without actually processing them, without really taking the time to consider whether they really work and whether they're even true. And I think, um, you know, and, and Tori Shepherd was speaking about the fact that, or one, one of the, she, she quoted a politician who said, we should be able to debate religion. Um, like we debate the football, and, and she took a, a bit of, you know, that, that's politically incorrect to be able to actually scrutinise different types of religions because surely all religions are equal, right? Well, I don't think so because ultimately, you know, some religion is true and some is false, some is good and some is bad. And so I think we should be able to scrutinise religion. You know, Tori, um, in her uh, article, elevated science and evidence and rational thinking, you know, to the highest plane, and she said, you know, these are the things that should shape our laws. And I say, well, they're the things we should be um, using to scrutinise religion with as well. Because if things you know, do not stack up, if the evidence is not in for those things, if science does not back those things up, if rational thinking does not back... Let's, let's get rid of those things because they are problems. They're going to be problems in our society and in our world. And in fact, you know, we live in Australia and um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a place that people come to because they, they recognise there is something special in this nation. And, and other nations of the world as, too, as well. But, you know, refugees, or now probably called asylum seekers more so, but, you know, they're coming here because Australia, believe it or not, is a refuge for many people. It's a safe haven. There are values in operation here in Australia that people do not have the privilege of in other parts of the world. Why is that? Well, it is because of our Judeo-Christian ethic that has been foundational in our nation. There are certain things that we stand for, certain things we believe, certain things that we, we say are acceptable and unacceptable because of our belief system and, and the things that have shaped our belief system and our legal system and so on and so forth Good. to this point. Now, think about it like this. <clears throat> People come to Australia, think about the safe house in the street. You know those little neighbourhood watch houses? And like you've got a safe house. Now, the idea of a safe house is that if some child feels that they're under threat... They go to the safe house, the person lets them in, calls the police, and they're safe. That only works as long as the person inside the house keeps the door closed to the person that is threatening the child. Now, in Australia, I think we are in very grave danger of just letting in a lot of the problems. And I'm not, when I say problems, I'm not talking people. I want you to understand, I'm not against people of various faiths, but there are some dangerous philosophies out there in this world. There are some dangerous religions out there in this world. And you've got to, you look at the countries that these people are coming from and you say, okay, what is the primary or the prevailing worldview in that part of the world? And what is it that causes people to leave their country? Taking the family and, and you know, their, their little kids on rickety boats with a great chance of dying across the oceans. Why? Because, because of what's been taking place there is worse than that threat of coming here on a boat. And we are in danger of throwing that away, folks. That's for free. So we can, we can, we can love and respect one another as people, and certainly that is, that is at the heart of Christianity. But we throw our brains out if we accept the idea that all religions or faiths or philosophies are equally valid. All right, so I don't think, like Tory, that you know, religion is incompatible with science, with evidence, or with rational thinking. Now, some faiths would be certainly threatened by the thought of being scrutinised according to those things. But Christianity, as a Christian, I'm not. I'm all for those things being used as a tool to test whether our faith works or not. 
okay? Um, so I want to have a look tonight, essentially, at um, why I'm a Christian and why I believe every person on the face of this planet would do themselves a great big favour by at least considering the claims of Christianity and ultimately of Jesus, the founder of our faith. And so I want us to weigh up some evidence tonight. I want to ask a few questions. I'm going to ask three questions tonight. The first one is, is this. Is Christianity worth considering? The second question is, what sets Christianity apart? And the third question is simply, where does the evidence lead? Now, I'm not going to give you all of the answers to every you know, little thought that you might have throughout this message. That's for you to go and do your homework. There is so many good books. There is so much um, information on the internet. You can... You can Pick up on some of the thoughts that I, that I throw out there tonight, and you can go and do your own research. Yeah. Like, I'm not here to answer all the things. I'm here to actually create some questions in you. And, and as us as believers, if we're a believer, I want to strengthen our faith and our resolve to know what we believe in order that we can help those who don't know what they believe. And if you don't know what you believe tonight, or maybe you think you know what you believe, I want to challenge you to at least consider Christianity. Okay, so the first thing, is Christianity worth considering? Well, obviously, many, many people would shout a resounding No. Their mind is already made up. It's like, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is made up. Christianity is not worth considering. There might be a whole bunch of reasons for that. But ultimately, if we can lay aside our prejudice, there might be some good questions that we could actually start with. And I would suggest something like this. Did Jesus exist? Did Jesus exist? And how do we know about him? Because Jesus lived some 2,000 years ago, and there are many people who lived 2,000 years ago, or possibly even more, and, you know, the question is, well, did they exist and how do we know about them? Well, we know about people because, you know, of, of things that have been written and passed down through history. And, and I just want to have a quick look at that. When it comes to Jesus, how do we know he exists? Well, we exist because there are four separate eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry. Okay, it's like four different reporters or four different newspapers reporting on the same event. Okay, many people are under the misapprehension that the Bible was written by one person with a strong agenda, um, and, but that's not the way it was. The Bible is a collation of books and letters. Okay, and so there were four distinct people that were around, that lived around Jesus and were able to see what he did and were able to interview and talk to those who were around him, and each of them wrote about the life of Jesus. Okay, and so those books today are collated in what we call the Bible. All right? That's fairly straightforward, yeah? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Many people call them the Gospels, just the good news. Okay, so four separate accounts about Jesus' life. Now, that's, I think, encouraging. The fact there are eyewitness accounts. Secondly, is there's unparalleled documentary evidence regarding Jesus' existence. Okay, you've probably heard about a guy called Alexander the Great. Many of us would have. Maybe they don't teach it in schools anymore. I know they're teaching a whole lot of weird stuff and sometimes basic history gets missed out. But Alexander the Great, most people have heard of him. How do we know about Alexander the Great? Well, most of what we know about Alexander the Great was written by about five people. And they all lived about 400 years after Alexander the Great. And then the earliest writings we have of those people come into play about 1,000 years after that. Okay, so you've got this 1,400-year gap between when Alexander the Great lived and the, the earliest um, writings that we have his, uh, about him today. 
Okay? Now, what's in those writings can obviously be tested. You can go and have a look at the historical sites, and you realise that there are some places, like Alexandrina, for example, which is named after Alexander the Great, and there'll be various reference to, to him in history, maybe not writings about him, but you, know, you would find his name in, in certain places. Okay? And, and archaeology uh, would be the science that would look um, to verify some of those claims about Alexander the Great. Well, when it comes to Jesus... This documentary evidence is far, far stronger. Okay, what we know, like I said, of Alexander was written such a long time ago. With Jesus, they were writing about Jesus within one generation. Now you might say, well, why didn't they write about Jesus straight away? Well, a very simple answer, they thought he was coming back straight away. Okay, they didn't think, when Jesus said, I'll be coming back, they were thinking, well, probably, you know, maybe five or ten years, we'll just get the world saved and he'll be back. But that didn't happen. And so as 5, 10, 15, 20 years went by, they began to realise that, hey, there's people around about us are dying and there could be generations ahead that need to know about Jesus. And we need to make sure that they get accurate information about Jesus. So people began to collect and collect the stories. And obviously the Gospels are a part of that. Okay, so, but the interesting thing about these is they were written, like I said, in that first 25, 30 years after Jesus was actually on the face of the planet by people who actually knew him, saw him, and in conjunction with others who had seen and known him. Okay, Mark, for example, we don't know whether he, he actually knew Jesus, but we know that his, um, his writings are really the writings of Peter. Okay, he tells the story of Peter. Okay, and so we have um, some, some actual manuscript evidence that goes back from the book of John right to in the first century AD. All right, they are whole copies of the New Testament, um, two or three of them, from the, second, sorry, from the third century. Okay, There are literally thousands upon thousands, something like 25,000 um, manuscripts to, for, that, that can be compared one to another to see um, you know, whether the things have changed over time. You know, people say, oh, the Bible, you know, how can you trust that? It's changed so much over time. Well, the fact is we know, that we know more about the accuracy of the Bible today than when it was first translated into English, for example, because of all the evidence that's been collected about, you know, from the Bible itself, okay, manuscripts of the Bible, comparing to quotes of early Christians who were writing about what was in the Bible in various languages, etc. So we can be very, very, very confident that the Bible we have today is extremely accurate compared to what was originally written. Okay? There's been an unbroken line of transmission. It's not like, it's not like you know, something happened 3,000 years ago and all the evidence and books were lost and then 1,000 years after that, someone dug up these and starts to try and perpetuate stories about Jesus. No, there's been an unbroken line of Christianity since he walked on the planet. Okay? Um, I've mentioned about the age of the copies, etc. Um, and how about this? Just the positive influence of genuine Christianity. I mean, all of us know people who have met Jesus, and we've seen the positive impact it can have on their life. I'm talking about genuine Christianity now. All right, People that generally encounter Jesus and, and seek to live according, their life is a testament that what he said was true. We see that, again, societies are transformed from the better, for the better, when the teachings of Jesus are put into practice. We see that also the, the, the church has had a massively um, influential role in pioneering so many of the, of the things in our society that we take for granted today, whether they be welfare structures, whether they be hospitals or um, educational institutions, uh, even science itself, ultimately came out of a Christian worldview that believed in a God of order. Okay, so these are some of the, the things that, that we can, I, I think the answer to that, if, when you understand that, and I've only just skimmed the surface, you'd say, well, certainly on the basis of what Pete's just said, Christianity is certainly at least worth considering. Would you concede that tonight? Yes? Good. I'll keep going then. 
The next question is what sets Christianity apart? And this is where I finished last week. I mean, the answer to that one and the answer for every question for Christians is simply Jesus, isn't it? I mean, every religion has a founder, but the question is, is how do they compare to Jesus? As I was thinking about this, I thought, well, you know, it could be quite, if putting out the challenge to people to, to think about what you believe, that could be quite intimidating because there are literally thousands, if not millions, of religions across the world and philosophies. And if you had to go through each one of those and, and check them and study them and look at their historical um, uh, roots and, and then look at what they believe and all that sort of stuff, that would be pretty intimidating. I could understand why you wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to do that. But how about this? How about we go to the pinnacle of religion? How about we go to the top of the tree, and that's where Christianity sits. Because Jesus made some claims about himself that we don't find amongst any other great leader. Buddha didn't claim to be God. Muhammad didn't claim to be God. He only claimed to be a prophet of God. Okay, Jesus made the crazy, outlandish claim that he was God. Okay, so yes, Jesus was a good man, a moral teacher, and plenty of religions have that at their foundation. Some even have prophecy, and we talked about Islam, at their foundation. Some even have a measure of, of miracles, and all that, and that's not surprising. We understand there's a spiritual realm that is full of, 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 of good and evil spirits, and if, and if good spirits you know, can produce good things, certainly there's, there's deceiving spirits that can do things as well. So it doesn't surprise me that there would be some spiritual activity that could possibly um, do some supernatural things in our midst and cause confusion. That's, the, that's consistent with what the Bible teaches. Um, so we see that Jesus was a good man, a teacher, a miracle worker, that he was a prophet. He, he foretold that things would, would come. He exercised power over nature. We see that he, he walked on water. Again, he didn't just come back after a day out at the beach and tell the guys he walked on water. They saw him walk on water. They saw him speak to the wind and the waves and calm them down. Okay, they saw him when he broke a few loaves and fishes up and fed 5,000 people. Okay, this wasn't hearsay. This wasn't Jesus coming and, and trying to impress people. Like, you know, we've often been subject to many people who say all sorts of outlandish things, but this was, people were watching on. You know, Jesus didn't um, come out of the desert and tell everyone what he'd done. He came out of the desert, began his ministry just by teaching and just by doing, and it was the doing that impressed the people. Okay, this is the historical roots of Christianity. And like I said, the claims about Jesus, that he was God, Mark chapter 14, verses 61, 62 is an example of that. Ultimately, the claim he was killed for, by the way. You know, many people say, oh, Jesus didn't claim to be God. That's what he was killed for. Okay, he definitely claimed to be God. He was, claimed, he was killed for blasphemy, claiming to put himself on the same level as God. He also claimed that he would die. He prophesied that he was going to die that he would be crucified, and that on the third day he would rise from the dead. And so to me, I reckon it's worth starting at those points, these claims to be God and, and this whole idea of resurrection, because they are the things that set Jesus apart from anyone else. I mean, again, any person can claim to be God, but most of us, if we know someone who claims to be God, we know pretty much straight away they're not, right? Based, based on what they do, or probably more likely what they don't do. Okay, that's, that's pretty easy. So that's what I'm saying. When, you know, let's, let's look at Christianity first before we look at everything. If we can discount Christianity, well, then start looking at other religions. Go for it. Knock yourself out. But if Jesus actually meets that claim to be God, and, he really, and, he, and part of the evidence for that, strong, strong evidence would be, hey, he rose from the dead. Yeah. Well, then, you know, if you can't get past that, don't waste your time looking at anything else. Look further into who Jesus was. 
Okay, so the Gospels, again, you can read this for yourself. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would encourage you to read them. It tells you all about what Jesus taught. It tells you all about what he did. It tells you about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the commission that he gave to the church. Okay, so we see that um, Jesus did, in fact, die as he, was, as he had said he would. We see that the response to that was very normal. Grief, sorrow, fear, all of the things that we would expect, we see. These were normal people. We see that even when, on Sunday morning, after the Friday that Jesus was crucified... Some of the women went to the tomb in doubt, lack of faith, because they were wanting to anoint the body. They weren't there to greet Jesus as he rose from the dead. They were there to finish the job of embalming his body. And when they got there, the stone was gone, the tomb was empty, and they had an angelic visitation saying that he's not here, he's risen, just like he said he would. And so they run back to the disciples and, and again, mighty men of faith that they were, they didn't believe it, it was only the girls and you know, they're obviously just being a bit emotional. <laughs> and so there was a high degree of scepticism, not faith, at this particular point of time. Again, to me, I, just, I can relate to this. I hope you can. You know, we're, not, we're not asking you to believe something crazy, something ridiculous. We, we're just applying rational thinking to this whole deal, aren't we? We're looking at the evidence. And again, if we're looking at other aspects, we look at scientific evidence. We perhaps look at archaeology and so on and so forth. So we've got these guys that at very, 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 very best had cautious optimism. I mean, when Peter and John ran to the tomb, it was cautious optimism. It wasn't, wow, I'm going to meet Jesus. It was like, mate, these girls, they're out of their minds. I'm going to go and put them to rights. (laughs) And so what happens next is crucial. And this is my third point. Where does the evidence lead? Where does the, not what is all the evidence, but where does the evidence lead? You know, there's a, Bible, a book in the Bible, or rather a small letter in the Bible, by a guy called James. And James, the very first verse of his um, letter is interesting, because he says this in the greeting. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds very much like the sort of thing that Paul would write, who wrote much of the New Testament. But the kicker is this, that James was Jesus' biological brother, his younger brother. And he starts his letter by saying, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is like tone... Saying, a servant of God and of the Lord, Peter Rainbow. (laughs) Not hard to believe, I know. (laughs) What makes that even more interesting is if you read the Gospels, you see that James didn't believe that Jesus was Lord when he was alive. He thought he was a crackpot. He thought he was nuts. They tried, he was embarrassing the family. And on several occasions, they tried to, to get him to calm down, quieten down, and just go back out. We, you know, we weren't too many people. And Jesus had to, had to resist the love of his family in order to continue with his mission. Okay, so James, you know, and, and it's easy to get. Again, I love the Bible. It, it is so 
easy to believe. It's, it's, there's so much normality about it. We're not asked to believe crazy, highfalutin things. At least not off the foundation of something that is real, rational, testable, etc. So you've got James who's lived with Jesus for 30 years, just as a normal guy. Jesus was the carpenter's son. In all likelihood, he was a carpenter himself. Um, took on his dad's trade. And it was just normal. Just normal. I mean, he was really good, which was probably annoying at times. Because the parents always knew who to side with. But other than that, he was just normal. And that's what offended people. When Jesus went back into Nazareth and he was preaching and teaching, I said, but this is the carpenter. We know who he is. And so there's a, a high degree of normality about Jesus' life. And James was caught up in that. I mean, it wasn't like Jesus, you know, um, at night when it came to get ready for, you know, they probably were in the same bedroom as they, and who knows how many of them would have been crammed into the room with Jesus when he was a young boy. And, you know, they're all probably all in the same bed. And it wasn't like Jesus just wanted to get ready for bed and just clicked his fingers and boom, ready for bed. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it was just normal. Jesus had to go to the toilet, um, eat food, pass, all that sort of stuff, just like they did. It was ex- normal for them. And so it was a big leap. To, even, even for Mary, you know, I'm sure she, she harbored things in her heart. She was excited about the possibility of, of all that had taken you know, place when Jesus, when, um, um, Jesus' birth or impending birth was announced to her. But again, 30 years of normality would have to have messed with her head a little bit. And even she was caught up in this whole thing, Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 19. I'm just going to pull out some pieces. You can read the whole thing for yourself if you don't trust me. But Paul writes this, and he also was an unbeliever when Jesus was alive. And he goes further because he was a persecutor of the church. He wanted to eradicate any person that said Jesus was the Christ and Lord. And he says this, What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. Again, there's this openness, this accountability. It's like, hey, if you don't believe me, Many of them are still living. Go and check it out. Though some have fallen asleep or died, then he appeared to James, the James I just spoke to you about, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Now, Paul wasn't one of the disciples like the others were. Okay, Paul, as I said, was persecuting the church and he had an encounter, a revelation of Jesus that was different to the other guys. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. And if Christ has been raised, our, sorry, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we found out to be false witnesses about God. We have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. Paul said, This is what we thought, this is it. This is the crux of our faith. That Jesus rose from the dead. If He didn't, mate, we're for it. And by the way, your faith is useless. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Why? Well, if you go on and read some of Paul's writings, you understand he really suffered for what he believed. He went through, he went almost to hell and back for his faith. And that would just make him an idiot if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Okay, that's what he's saying. Again, this is is rational thought right here. 
And it, it's, it's things that can be tested. You can look at the evidence and weigh it up. That's what Paul's saying. So this was written about 25 years after the events described. And Paul, like I said, lists himself amongst those that have seen the risen Jesus along with James. Now, there's only three options here for me. Paul's either lying, or he's mistaken, or he's telling the truth. He's talking about a resurrection. It's either got to be a lie, a mistake, or the truth. We have no other options there. Now, a skeptic might suggest that, you know, I mean, you know, it wasn't too good when Jesus died. But I know what we can do. We can make the best of a bad situation here. I mean, if we can just, I mean, Jesus spoke a little bit about raising the dead, so, you know, there could be a mileage in that. Maybe there's some people out there that are gullible enough to believe us. And we could just keep this whole thing going and maybe, you know, maybe we'll get a little bit famous at it. Maybe we'll get rich. That's, that's essentially what people are suggesting how Christianity started. <laughs> just, just make something up and run with it. And that sounds great, except it's just not what happened. It, they didn't get rich. They didn't get famous. They didn't just go on and live happily ever after. If they did, well, maybe that... You know, a little theory would carry some weight, but it's not what happened. When the moment of truth arrived, when things began to, you know, the rubber began to hit the road, we see they didn't change course. They didn't back down. They didn't say, we're sorry. They didn't run for the hills. But they just kept on keeping on in the direction that they were headed. They were alienated. They endured much hardship, as I've mentioned. They were persecuted, and ultimately, all of the apostles, apart from the apostle John, died for their faith. They were all killed. We read about one of them in I think it's Acts chapter 12. James, killed with a sword, most likely his head chopped off. Paul, same thing happened to him about 60, 62 AD. Peter was crucified upside down. And we could just go through the list of people who were killed for their faith. And to me, to suggest that they knew that they were just scamming everyone and yet they endured that, that's, that's craziness at the highest level. But there's a higher level than that, and that's this, they had wife and kids. Wives and kids. Well, together, corporately, they had wives and kids. <laughs> and again, I'm a husband and I'm a dad. And again, I can imagine, you know, if someone came to me, if I was one of the best in my family and someone offered me this option to make a lot of money and get real famous and set my family up for life, I, I could, you know, if we just start this little religion or something, yeah, I could understand someone maybe doing that. But not when your life is under threat. And certainly not when your wife and your children's lives are under threat. That is, like I said, the time to cut and run. If it was a hoax, they absolutely knew it. They absolutely had to have known it. And you don't die for a hoax. It would be crazy. It would be like, the other day I came home from, from work. No, came, it was my day off, I think, and we bought a pizza for lunch, and the box was just on the table. And I'm just sitting there minding my own business, and suddenly Sam comes running in, running in and Hannah comes running, we've just invented Pizza Man! Just invented Pizza Man. And, uh, you know, that's cool, that's funny. And, uh, you know, there's nothing really, no weight attached to that. Um, it was just like, we just invented Pizza Man, you know. We sort of had a bit of a joke about maybe what Pizza Man could do. But imagine, 
and it's just two kids playing games. But imagine if Hannah had come in and said, we were just you know, looking at the last two pieces of pizza and one of them suddenly started talking to us. And said, if you will tear this box in half, you will tie it together with a couple of bits of fishing wire, you will put it on, you will be transformed into the world's latest superhero. Bullets will just bounce off you. Now, again, that would be pretty hard to believe, and you, you know, probably I'd just laugh it off and tell them not to be stupid, etc., etc. But imagine if it wasn't just Sam and Hannah, but imagine if Sally Ann came and said, No, they're serious, they really believed it, it really happened, I saw it. <laughs> Mate, then I'd be you know, a little bit rocked. But imagine, but imagine it was Tony and Casper in there as well, and, it, and, and, and you know, I know they might be having a bit of a land of me, so I sort of, but they're just adamant. And Tony says, puts it on, he goes, No, no, seriously, have a shot, have a shot. Seriously, have a go. Bullets will just bounce straight off me. Now, at the point you get the gun out and load it and cock it is the point to pull out of that little scenario if you're joking. All right? If you're joking, that's when you bail. If it really happened, you might stand there confidently and say, well, you know. And then when bullets bounce off, then you can start your pizza man religion. That's, that's what happened with Jesus. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. Because, like I said, Jesus claimed to have risen from the dead. It's hard to believe, yes. None of us have experienced that. There are lots of things that we haven't experienced, but just because we haven't experienced doesn't make it true, particularly when all the evidence points to that's the only real option. Because, you know, I mentioned before that, you know, it's so unlikely that people would put their family in the firing line for something that they know is a joke. You would have to cut. We're talking about rational people. Again, you can study um, the rest of the Bible. You'll see the tone of their lives. You'll see the sorts of things they taught. They weren't suicidal. They weren't depressed. They were willing to die, but they weren't looking for it. So I don't think it was, Paul wasn't lying when he wrote that. Was he mistaken? Well, Paul could have been mistaken, but the disciples couldn't have. They lived with Jesus for three years. They went everywhere together. They stayed together. They would have known each other, you know, just everything about Jesus. They would have known. They would have known what he liked, what he didn't like. They would have just known each other's humor and all that. They were just, it wasn't like they were going to be fooled by someone pretending to be Jesus. And then, even if they were, what about James? James had known Jesus from the time he was born. And these are the guys that they're saying, no, they saw Jesus, the risen king. When we consider the claims, when we consider what they had to lose, and when we consider what they endured, and when when we consider the tone of their life and their teaching, the most rational conclusion, the conclusion that has the most evidence to support it, the conclusion that can be scientifically tested in terms of whether whether we really should trust the writings, is that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And once you've got that sort of tucked away, suddenly it doesn't matter what Muhammad said. It doesn't matter what Buddha said. It doesn't matter what Joseph Smith said. It doesn't matter what Richard Dawkins says. It doesn't matter what Charles Darwin said. It doesn't matter what any of these other people said because they can't hold a candle to what Jesus did. If I'm going to listen to anyone, I want to listen to someone with that sort of track record. Not somebody who's going to live a life like me, pass through through their body, drink, eat, sleep, drink, whatever, and then just die. And then just have all their thoughts overturned a few hundred years later. 
So where did the evidence lead them? Again, I'm not really looking at the evidence. I'm looking at a little bit of it, but where did it lead then? To a life of total devotion and worship. Now again, a lot of us have got brothers and sisters. For a brother to say of his older brother, the Lord, Jesus Christ, that is massive. That is massive. Previously, they had hoped that Jesus would rise from the dead. They went from just being hopeful about that to being absolutely convinced. They knew that he had risen from the dead and that he was actually, as he claimed to be, God, yes, but more than that, saviour of the world. That's another story altogether. I don't have time to talk about what all the implications of that are tonight, but if you've been coming for, a long, for some time, you would have a fair idea about that. And the reality is that from then on, people just like you and me, throughout the ages, have encountered this risen Christ. And they've experienced the forgiveness of this risen Christ. And they've experienced the power to transform their lives of this risen Christ. Many have experienced healing. We, you know, just earlier this year, we heard about my daughter Hannah, who was prayed for in the name of Jesus. She was miraculously healed of something that doctors didn't know what to do with. All evidence that we can test, all things that we can weigh up and say, well, I've got this option. I can believe in Muhammad, I can believe in Buddha, I can believe in Joseph Smith, I can believe in evolution. All these things that we can choose. But I say, we can't even really look at those things until we've discounted Christianity. And I think you're going to find that if you will take a serious look, if you'll be honest with yourself, if you'll get past your prejudices, because there's some challenges with Christianity. It's not an easy life. Not an easy life, particularly if you're all about living about yourself. There's going to be a challenge to that. For a start, we need to submit ourselves to God. So that's, why, that's, that's probably closer to the mark of why many people reject Christianity. Not because they really believe that there is no God, but just because they don't want to submit to a God. <laughs> just in concluding then, maybe, maybe you haven't been convinced tonight on the little bit of evidence that I've been able to share. But my prayer is that you've heard enough to come back next week. My prayer is that you've heard enough to ask some questions or do some research. Because the, a lot of the things I've, I've shared, shared tonight are very easy to find if you're looking for them. And you'll find so many things that will strengthen your faith and, and deal with some of the doubts that you have about Christianity. Don't let, don't let the fact you knew a Christian once who was a hypocrite put you off. There's a whole bunch of them, and we're all, we're all at that, that to some level. But it's not about who we are and how we represent Jesus. It's ultimately who Jesus is. Okay, it's because we're hypocrites, it's because we mess up that, that he came to forgive us of our sins, ultimately. It just, it just proves that we need him. Maybe tonight's the night for you. Maybe this is all you needed to hear, to get over the line. And we're going to give you an opportunity later on just to respond and to just take that step towards Jesus and accept him as your Lord and your Saviour. If you're a believer here tonight, I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been strengthened. And I hope you've been equipped to be able to talk about some of these things with a bit of passion, a bit of conviction. When you're talking about people who, who genuinely have questions about why do we believe? Christianity is not about blind faith. Nothing could be further from the truth. From the beginning, there's been a call to weigh up the evidence. There's been an acknowledgement that people have minds. I mean, even Jesus himself, he wasn't intimidated by people's disbelief. He just set his course, he taught what he taught, he did what he did, 
and he let people make up their own mind based on what they saw. And that's what we're about here at church. Won't happen necessarily. All your answers, your questions, and all your fears and suspicions and doubts won't be necessarily done away with from coming to church one night. But maybe over six months or a year or, you know, because it's a journey. Most of us have got time on our side. And I would encourage you to, to just observe the Christians that you know and see what God is doing in their lives. Ask questions. Read the Bible. You can do all of these things without ever having even made that decision. Yes, I'm going to become a Christian. Get all the information that you feel you need and make an informed decision. We all believe in something. My challenge to you is, is what you believe worth believing? Is what you, worth, is what you believe worth believing? Where will it lead? Lived out consistently. We've got examples right across the world. You don't have to go too far to you know, look at the different worldviews. Look at the different religions. Look at the different philosophies and see what they result in. Because ultimately, that's, that's where they lead. They lead there individually and they lead there as a society. You will not find a, a, a greater faith than Christianity in terms of its benefit to the individual or to a society. Don't passively wait to find out whether Jesus is real or not, whether what I've said tonight is true, but pursue the truth. Jesus said this, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciple. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They didn't start believing. They just kind of, as they heard Jesus, and they put into practice. And, you know, for example, you might come to church, and you hear a message on forgiveness that Jesus taught. You hear it. It's confronting. You're not sure if it makes sense. It seems like you're letting people off and all that sort of. But you put it into practice, and you think, wow, it worked. You know the truth, and the truth sets you free. As we continue to see what Jesus said about things, we continue to put those things into practice, we get set freer and freer and freer and we're more and more and more and more convinced of the truth. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.